0: wine. <laughs> you gotta way, let go of the
1: hands, though. <laughs> Hello, Yvette. Hi, Alma. I
0: missed you. I missed you, too. I missed doing the podcast. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. But I missed you, too. Of course. Even though we saw each other a
1: couple of times? A couple weeks ago, we yeah. went to a cigar bar which was fun we saw the glorious uh, jason momo oh my
0: goodness i forgot all about that Aquaman. how could how could i forget about that
1: i don't know girl i didn't forget about it though it, <laughs> as i leaned over to alma and be like did you see that cod piece
0: you <laughs> <laughs> did say it, no you didn't say it like that you're how like
1: do I how do i say it alma? i think you're lying. in my ear no <laughs>
0: <laughs> you kind of whispered it and said did you see that cod piece <laughs>
1: I think I said it like that, Alma.
0: (laughs) Lies, I tell you. I say lies. You kind of did.
1: I was under the influence, so I cannot be responsible anytime I'm under the influence of any sort of alcohol.
0: By the way, hello, everybody. We've missed you. Have you missed us? (laughs) Um, I'm Yvette. I'm Alma. And this is Tipsy Tales. Yay! We're back for our first episode of 2019.
1: Yep, we have a couple of um, exciting things. We're actually do going to do a collaboration with one of our friends. You want to give some more info on that, Alma? Um,
0: yeah, he's the host of My Celluloid Heart, Philip Duke. The Duke. The Duke. And we're all going to, I'm not going to tell you what we're doing it on, but it's going to have a little bit of everything. It's one case, yeah. and it has a movie. It has some true crime, not some true crime. It's, it's actually a true crime story. And it has some paranormal stuff, so... Which Alma loves, as I I make a big heart with my hands. I
1: love. (laughs) She loves that.
0: Also, starting next month, we just talked about this. We're going to start out the month. Usually, like today, we're going to, you know, we kind of like switch places and I do a true crime story, and she does. Yvette does a paranormal uh, story, which she loves. Loves. Yes, she does not. It's, it's actually <laughs> no. painful. It's really <laughs> hard.
1: You should see the research that I actually do. Because I'll get through like half the story, and I'm like, nope. And I'll get through half the story, and I'm like, nope, because it just really scares me.
0: I'm right. Not gonna lie. So, as
1: Alma laughs at me, and she's like, "What the hell? Put on <laughs> some big girl panties. You are not ten years old." But oh am, my
0: God. A little bit. But yeah, so anyway, since, you know, we do these stories and we're ta- basically talking about people on the worst day of their life um, or their loved one's lives, we decided since we have a platform, we're going to do something with it. And we're basically going to talk about a cold case or a missing person case. And we'll both collaborate on that. Definitely. So like that. we're looking forward to that.
1: Great idea. Are we switching it up? You know why? Because we can't.
0: Exactly. Anyways.
1: Anything grandkids? else going on with you, my dear? How was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? It was good. Yeah?
0: yeah. Anything Not really, special? No, nothing real eventful? No, nothing really eventful. I don't think we did
1: either, but I remember, but remember, we don't do Christmas, we do Eastmas. So oh, yeah. So I had my grandkids running around my house looking for... 10 presents a piece. My baby girl is only, you know, two and my baby boy is about four. So um, he enjoyed it a hell of a lot more than she did because she wanted to stop and open each and every present. It took him about two seconds to realize that there's a lot more presents and he just starts running around all over the place. So you want
0: to elaborate for our listeners that have no idea what Eastmas is.
1: Oh, Eastmas is a made up holidays by <laughs> us Hernandez family. It's a, Her, it's a Hernandez thing at this point. Um, we, um, the way we grew up, as we mentioned before, that we grew up not celebrating any holidays um, because of our Jehovah witness background. So I n- always liked, I want to get my kids to have some stuff. I remember being growing up and not having that feeling that, Oh, what did you get for you know Christmas or whatever the case may be? And I don't believe in um, Christmas, so I, we decided to make up our holiday. Right. And so it happens a few weeks, sometimes a few days, I mean, because Christmas after. is
0: basically just a made-up holiday. Pretty much. It's like big giant guy comes down your chimney and leaves some presents and eats some cookies and takes off on Except his magical reindeer. Except when Krampus reindeer. comes
1: and steals girls out of windows. Oh, but yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot all about that. <laughs>
1: But yeah, so no, I totally like that. So it's something we did. And so when Sergio was at work, one of his co-workers had mentioned, he was telling him, explaining it what Eastmas was. And he's like, did you seriously put Easter and Christmas together? He goes, do you have a fucking bunny that jumps around? And the name just took. It was it. We're (laughs) in. Hook, line, and sinker. So this year I put um, to my daughter-in-law's surprise. I put baby pictures of, of all the kids to know whose present was whose. And so when she goes to look for her presents, she sees a baby picture of herself and she's like, What the fuck, you meant? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Your mom put stuff on Facebook. It's my picture now. So, but it was fun. It was nice to have my kids, my kids together. They hadn't been, we hadn't been together as a family like that for a very long time. So it was very
0: nice. That's good. And- New Year's, old New Year's, stayed home, did nothing, drank a little bit. We pretty much did the same. The boys were here. Um, We've had a full house because the kids are having um, renovations done to their, the boys are to their new house. So it's been, Isaiah's here and he has his dog, Osa. Aw, such a cutie pie. Oh my gosh. All right. I'm definitely putting a picture of her on. (laughs) Like we've said before, she's so ugly. She's cute. She's cute. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, we the boys were here for New Year's Eve, and we just played games and drank and kicked back and listened to some music and gave each other hugs at midnight, and I promptly went to bed.
1: I hear you, girl. I think I actually oh went to bed God. a little bit. Actually, I fell asleep, woke up woo, woo, and then went back to sleep. I think it's pretty much the way I went. But it was literally just me and Sergio. And I was talking to Sergio. I'm like, do you realize this is the first time in about five years that we have not spent New Year's Eve with one, if not one or more of our tribe? Because mm-hmm. I'm actually going back at some of the, we're at the house and Mark was holding on to fireworks.
0: Right, that's true.
1: <laughs> so I was just like, oh. So I was kind of glad that we we're able to make it to Alma's because Alma f- failed to mention that her husband made some menudo, which is bomb as hell. Yes.
0: That's his favorite thing to do for, that's our New Year's tradition now is him making his white menudo. And uh, the kids all came over and enjoyed the menudo. And then we, uh, people came over the next day to enjoy the menu, Yeah, <laughs> that
1: was us. So we did that, and then I promptly drugged drug my husband off to Ikea. And <laughs> you,
0: you drugged your husband? I did,
1: literally. <laughs> your
0: husband needed to be drugged he to go to Ikea. He needed to be drugged because he was like, get you.
1: me the fuck out of here. And I'm like, but I want to I wanna look over here. And he's like, oh, my God, we've been here for, like, uh, five hours i'm like it's been 45 minutes <laughs>
0: we have our ikea stories i finally got uh mario to go up to ikea with me to get some stuff for the house mm-hmm. and that must have whole... been pleasant for him right oh, <laughs> you know what this time he had a completely different attitude and it, you know what we went the it was christmas saturday the okay. saturday right before christmas and i'm thinking to myself oh my god it's gonna be a nightmare mm-hmm um but it was by the time we got there it was actually um quieting down quiet. People yeah, probably going it wasn't home. too bad it was worse the last time we had went and that was like non-holiday um so anyways we're there and the main reason that i took him was to get some curtains for his room get through ikea the whole nine yards we like did from top to bottom and get all the way back home <laughs>
1: <laughs> guess who didn't buy curtains right <laughs>
0: Well, I, all the stuff that I carried back up into his house, there was no curtains. I was like, oh, crap, I can't find your curtains. And so then Mario goes outside, he checks the trunk, he can't find the curtains. <sighs> so here I am with this long-ass Ikea re- receipt, and I'm trying to figure out what all these things mean. Right. Because not every one of them says, like, you know, they'll have cromp kit, whatever the name is, Corvette, or whatever. Right.
1: Mom, Ikea, dresser.
0: Yeah, some of them have it right next to it, so... But some some don't. And so I'm curtains. literally like summoning a demon. <laughs> well, I'm sitting there trying to translate everything that doesn't have a name next to it as I'm calling IKEA trying to find out if I can go back and pick it up. So
1: oh, that's a I was, drive. I was trying to
0: figure out if it was on the receipt or if it wasn't. Okay. On the receipt. So, anyways, turns out it was in my trunk, and Mario just didn't see it. Oh no. <laughs>
1: I love, but it's like a surprise. It's like a Christmas present all over again. Right. you know, you don't got to go back to Ikea.
0: Thank God. (laughs) I love
1: Ikea. I'm sorry. I will go there all the time. I love, even though I see it, it's always new to me.
0: I know. Even from the last time, they just, they had a bunch of new stuff from the last time we were there. Did you see
1: that ugly floral couch though? I like transported back to the 70s. Really? It was the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't think I saw that. Oh, Oh, you should see that. You I should go it.
0: just to see my that. My eyes probably averted. It was like a protection mechanism and built into my brain because there you go. No. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. <laughs>
1: anyway, so what are we drinking, darling? We are drinking um Ken Wood Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, 2014, it's a, it says cab, but it actually notes that it's a little bit of a blend with obviously cab Petit Verdot, 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 I don't even know, but it's, it's, you get it. You care about it that much, you'll find out. So, <laughs> 2% Malbec. That made me think um, of
0: that story. Perdot, Purdue, Perdot. What was his
1: name? <laughs> I don't Do even I remember. perdot Perro. No, Purdue. I think it was. Pear. I have no idea, girl. I cannot even tell it's you. It's been a while. It's been my it was my story, but I don't even remember. So we're on
0: episode twenty.
1: Ooh, girl! Cheers. There you go. Way to start out a new year, right? Yep. So, um, Sonoma County it showcases aromas of cassis, plum, black cherry, accompanied with spicy notes of nutmeg, sage, and vanilla. Full-bodied, uh, bright colors, lively palette that ends with a long, elegant finish. So how's it taste, Alma? I
0: okay. I'm gonna tell you. I do taste the black cherry. No, but I thought you were gonna
1: taste. It tastes like wine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it does taste like wine with black cherry.
1: So they say it's great to pair it with uh, beef tenderloin, uh, like blackberry dressing, chicken, and figs, or even like a mushroom risotto. Mm-mm-mm. The artwork is not a full asawami. It's more about ah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'll tell you how
0: random my friend is. (laughs) So we're like pre-gaming before the uh, episode here, and we're talking and about a bunch of stuff. And like randomly, she just says like, "Want to do a five k?" And like before my brain can process it, (laughs) we're talking about religious stuff, and she's going into detail in regards to an experience she had. And then I I interrupt. In the middle, she says, "Want to do a five (laughs) k? Just, just, just real fast." Matter of fact. To the point where I had to take a double take. Like, did
1: you say? I wasn't even smiling. (laughs) I was so serious.
0: (laughs) But I busted out laughing. I couldn't help
1: it. It's one of those days where my mind is about a thousand different ways and can't focus not even on one thing. So I apologize ahead of
0: time. Alrighty. So we should probably get to it because I have a pretty long story.
1: Okay. Well, mine's kind of short, so I guess it works out. Okay. So what do you have for us today, my
0: dear? I have the story of db cooper Ooh, that's a good one yep and there's no murder <laughs> <laughs> so i figured we'd start out the new year with no murder With no murder an actual c- true crime but no murder all right okay well it is true crime but it is true crime that's
1: what our description is so yay
0: no murder (laughs) i get to check one of the dots all right all right so about 47 years ago on wednesday november 24th uh 1971 god how long ago was that you know what 1971 is the year before i was born 47 years ago oh my god that does not feel like it's
1: that long ago yep you keep making me feel old i'm sorry (laughs) she's like b you are old (laughs) embrace Mm -hmm. it not as old as me
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, and every sorry, year brings another birthday damn it another another uh trip around the sun
1: woohoo be riding it like the big wild horse Ooh, i turn 45 next year okay i'll do it i <laughs> do what i do every year alma
0: what do you do nothing 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 at all i do nothing you do something ish ish
1: ish i'm not like a big party kind of girl no i like to party don't get me wrong I just don't like <laughs> birthday parties.
0: I like how you like headed me off on the pass. <laughs> You're like, before you, you say I something, I saw that to me look. In regards to not being a partier. So, like I was saying, 47 years ago. Um, On Wednesday, November 24th, the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, an unassuming middle-aged man approaches the Northwest Orient Airlines counter and purchases a one-way ticket on flight 305 to Seattle at Portland International Airport. He's carrying only a black briefcase and he signs in the log as Dan Cooper. I'll go until we get to D.B. Cooper Okay. later on. He boards a Boeing 7- 727. He takes seat 18C. Another account out there says 15D, So, but it doesn't matter. Cause it's a seat in the
1: plane, right? Yeah,
0: it's a seat in the back of the plane. Okay. Um, either way, it's the rear of the passenger cabin. He lights a cigarette. The first of many, apparently, he chain-smokes his way through. Oh my God! We're still in the '70s where you
1: actually smoke oh, on Dan, the plane.
0: Dan, Don Draper.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he has a little whiskey there to the side, smoking oh, yeah, on an airplane.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's... he bourbon, bourbon, oh and, no, yep. Not, um, <laughs> he orders a bourbon and soda. Okay. Fellow passengers described him as a man in his mid 40s, between five foot ten inches and six foot in height, wearing a black lightweight raincoat, loafers. A dark suit and a neatly pressed white colored shirt with a clip on tie. And the clip on tie has the clip is Mother of Pearl. OK, let's not forget his aviator glasses, the ones you see in all the pictures. Yes. Looks a little bit like the Unabomber. Yep. OK, got ah. it. Check. So here we are on flight 305. Originally, it takes off from Washington, D.C. before it gets to Seattle and it stops in Minneapolis, Great Falls, Missoula. Spokane, and finally stops in Portland before departing about 2.50 p.m. on a 30-minute trip to Seattle, Washington. Not too long after the plane takes off, he hands a note to Florence Schaffner, the flight attendant, who is about 23 at the time. The note itself is in NEAT, and it's in all caps, and it's written in a felt-tip pen. She thinks it's just another guy um, trying to pick up on her. Okay, so apparently which makes sense. Yeah. yeah, well, she's... An attractive 23-year-old. Apparently, like, she's missed something or other. She's, like, a pageant winner. Sunshine. So, Miss yeah. Sunshine. Yeah, a little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So she looks at the note. Like, oh, God. Sticks it in her purse without looking at it. No, she didn't. She did. Imagine her surprise when she got home, right? Well. <laughs> He leans over, doesn't change his expression and says, uh, you better read the note. I have a bomb.
1: Oh, no. So it is like they. OK, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no. Yeah. That freaks me out.
0: Like I said, it basically says something to the fact I have a bomb in my briefcase, which he just basically says to her. So she didn't even have to fucking read the note. Right? It's like, that was redundant. you're defeating
1: your purpose, Don Draper.
0: (laughs) You've already had too much bourbon, Don Don Draper.
1: You're giving it all away, (laughs) Elaine.
0: (laughs) After she reads the note, he tells her to come sit beside him. And of course she does. And she asks to see the bomb. Cooper opened his briefcase long enough for her to get a glimpse at eight red cylinders, four on top, on top of four, attached to wires coated with red insulation and a large cylindrical battery. Okay. So, yeah. Looks so like a bomb. That,
1: now things got real.
0: Yeah. So she's like, fuck. She's got a bomb. So she goes back to the...
1: <laughs> Girl, she goes back, takes a big... She gets like four of those little um, tiny drinks, the little whiskey drinks, right. the Opens single servings,
0: all. all of them. Downs them all and then goes and talks to the pilots. That, that'd that be my move. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, give me your bourbon. Hold <laughs> <laughs>
1: not my <by> ribbon <laughs> um,
0: alright he closes the briefcase gets down to business demands $200,000 in negotiable um, American dollars which in today's currency translates to roughly a million two hundred and forty
1: that's random well well no, not really random but yeah okay sorry I'm random apparently
0: today so <laughs> wait till you hear okay. the correlation between this and one of the suspects He also requests four parachutes, two primary and two reserve, and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. Lawrence goes and relays his demands to the pilots, and when she gets back, Cooper is now wearing his dark sunglasses. He said, (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) You've already seen my face, but I'm going to put my sunglasses on. (laughs) So you don't commit it to memory. Here, have some bourbon. There you go. Okay, so Schaffner described him as calm, polite, and well-spoken. And Tina Mucklow, who was another flight attendant that has to deal with him at some point, she agrees and she says that he seemed rather nice. He was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm at all times and apparently he ordered a second bourbon and water paid his drink tab and attempted to give them a tip and oh, they were shit. like oh, no, no, no no keep your tip <laughs> keep your tip I means right now you have a bomb in your briefcase yeah, exactly um and then he offered to request meals for the flight crew when they stop in seattle Anyways, Oh,
1: because you know he's gentleman. a nice guy
0: don draper <laughs> uh, meanwhile in the cockpit pilot William Scott contacts the Seattle Seattle Tacoma Airport traffic control and they let local and feds know. The 36 passengers on board are basically told that their arrival in Seattle is delayed to, due to mechanical difficulty. And basically the the plane's only a third way full. So it doesn't it's not even at full capacity okay. full of passengers, luckily. Not that it makes any difference. 36 or like a hundred and something doesn't matter. Like right. it's still that many lives, lives that are yeah. Meanwhile, in Can the you cockpit. imagine
1: the, the, the airport getting that call, though? Yeah. How frantic that would be. Be like, no, no.
0: Oh, shit. And what yeah, and this is like before like these things are like, it really takes off after this. It becomes wow. a thing.
1: Can you imagine if it happened nowadays? You have people that guy couldn't get away at
0: all because there'd be like 100 different phones, Snapchatting, videoing. Well, and apparently there was a lot of things that happened after this that were because of him really and other subsequent um hijackings okay. but yeah and then there was 911 so now you couldn't get away with shit no right you would hope not it's i mean exactly. they pretty much put a probe up your ass if you <laughs> even look like you have a quran in your hey, purse
1: <laughs> sometimes that's okay sometimes it's enjoyable not always just plain
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're like where the fuck does that come from I got frisked when I was coming from Philly and she was a very nice and gentle girl. <laughs> she put a probe up your ass. Uh, if she did, she did it gently. <laughs> uh, I was drunk. I was very drunk. I was like, fuck this, driving my...
0: I'm
1: home, Arizona. And, uh, yeah.
0: So, that happened. <laughs> Um, so like I was saying, meanwhile, back in the cockpit, pilot William Scott contacts the Seattle Seattle Tacoma Airport traffic control and they let local and feds know. The thirty-six passengers on board are basically told that their arrival in Seattle is delayed due to mechanical difficulty. Um, didn't I just say this? Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought I did. It's okay. I anyway. heard I have heard it.
1: It could, yeah there. That was it. That's what I meant to say.
0: Okay. <laughs> Are you having a stroke? Apparently, <laughs> goddamn. Drink your wine, it'll be fine, fine, fine.
1: Fine, fine, fine.
0: Um, <laughs> the airline's president, Donald Naira, authorizes the payment. Once over Seattle, Flight 305 circles the Puget Sound for approximately two hours while officials on the ground arrange to comply with Cooper's demands. Can you imagine you're like one of these 36 passengers? It's supposed to be a 30-minute minute. flight to Seattle routine, and you're here you are a few hours later while they're trying to figure out, you know, what they're doing.
1: That would freak me out.
0: Yeah mechanical difficulty or not like why are we going I'm like in circles? we
1: need to go down like
0: how many times can you circle the puget sound
1: no shit <laughs> well not like that like but that? i mean how much fuel do they have at this point in time
0: exactly oh yeah the 727 landed at sea at about 5:39 pm the ransom money had been gathered by the fbi from several seattle area banks and consisted of ten thousand twenty dollar bills wow okay that's very specific the notes were not marked but all were photographed to record their serial numbers
1: all of them all of them Twenty thousand.
0: back in 1971 holy shit i'm just trying to imagine if is it a polaroid is it 35 millimeter like what did they use to take pictures i don't of- know i mean you know some of them had
1: to be out of focus too or do they are they taking multiples at a time it's crazy wow that was some imbe- real investigating back in those days.
0: Exactly, and they got it together pretty quick too. No shit, I'll take Don't... a picture of my wine. Took me thirty, 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the money was then carried to the airliner by a Northwest employee along with parachutes. These were given to the flight attendant Tina Mucklow at the 727's <laughs> aft boarding stairs. She carried these to Cooper, who was satisfied that his demands had been met. Allow the 36 other passengers, as well as flight attendants Schaffner and Elise Hancock, to leave the airplane. So all 36 passengers and two of the airline uh, stewardesses get to leave.
1: Okay, so all that's left is with the pilot and two other stewardess? Yeah, so okay. five,
0: five in all. During all of this, the fueling was delayed because of trouble with the fuel trucks. I was watching a YouTube video, which basically uh, one of the people was saying that he was a reporter on the scene. Okay. And basically somebody said that it was the FBI kind of, like, futzing with things in the background, like, that delayed the, the fuel trucks. And when they found out what was going on, they're like, get this plane error you know right but i couldn't find that on any other site so i don't know how true that is so just take it as you will sorry i didn't i didn't write this in the big print that i usually do (laughs) The struggle (laughs) is real i am blind i hear you when all is said and done cooper tells the crew that he wanted them to fly the 727 south to mexico okay because you know they're leaving seattle south to mexico and he gave very specific instructions he told them to fly as slow as possible to leave the landing gear extended, the flaps lowered to 15 degrees, and to remain below 10,000 feet with the cabin unpressurized. Really? He also demanded. I, I
1: don't didn't know those small details in regards to him. Yeah, demanding that.
0: But apparently they were like, uh, no, that's not that's not a good idea. Apparently, he also demanded that the airliner take off with its ventral stairs lowered, but this was refused as being unsafe.
1: Yeah. Duh. <laughs>
0: And it's funny. So I just have to say this. So I got a lot of this from Wikipedia, of course. And there's like a little gif on there. Okay. You know, and they're just trying to give you like a picture of what the airplane looks like. (laughs) (laughs) And then the staircase coming down, and you see a little guy like flying out the back. (laughs) And it looks like the plane (laughs) is actually like taking a shit. (laughs) 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 Now you all got to go to Wikipedia and and see that. See what I saw. Okay. So at 7.40 p.m., N-467 U.S. took off from SeaTac with the flight crew and cabin attendant Tina Mucklow still on board. Cooper required that Mucklow remain with him in the passenger cabin. cabin. At this point, there's only five people on board. Cooper, the pilot Scott, flight attendant Mucklow, co-pilot Radizak, and flight engineer H.E. Anderson. When they take off, they are followed by two Convair F-106 Delta Dart interceptors from McCord Air Force Base. A Lockheed T-33 trainer diverted from one unrelated Air National Guard mission also shadowed the 727 before running low on fuel and turning back near their Oregon-California state line. Uh, Apparently, I only see three here. Okay. Because it talks about the two Convair, but I guess there was like five in all planes Following. Following him. Yeah, close behind. After takeoff, Cooper told Mucklow to join the rest of the crew in the cockpit and remain there with the door closed. As she complied, Mucklow observed Cooper tying something around his waist. At approximately 8 p.m., a warning light flashed in the cockpit, indicating that the aft air stair apparatus had been act- activated. The crew's offer of assistance via the aircraft's intercom system was curtly refused. The crew soon noticed a subjective change of air pressure, indicating that the aft door was open. So Dan Cooper, at this point, got pooped out of the airplane.
1: (laughs) It's like... (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, so the investigation. It has to be said that, of course, D.B. or Dan, or whatever his name is, is never found or never identified. The name D.B. Cooper was a mistake made by the media once. One media outlet mistakenly calls him D.A. Cooper... Really, and then at some point it turns into DB Cooper, and they just kind of go with that. Like it, it wasn't. ever... It wasn't even ever his name. That's no, interesting. It never I was DB Cooper, like that. Wow. but wow. DB Cooper sounds sexier. So hell yeah, you know, than Dan Cooper. <laughs> you hear Dan Cooper like
1: ninja. That is not my name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, that was probably not his name either. Right. So, FBA agents recovered sixty six unidentified or. Yeah, unidentified latent fingerprints aboard the airliner. The agents also found Cooper's black clip-on tie, his tie clip, and two of four parachutes, one of which had been open and two shroud suspension lines cut from its canopy. Authorities interviewed eyewitnesses in Portland, Seattle, and Reno, and all those who personally interacted with Cooper. A series of composite sketches um, was developed. And all put pictures of that but I'm pretty sure everybody's seen those pictures um, a precise search area was difficult to define as even small differences in estimates of the aircraft speed or the environmental conditions along with the flight path which varied significantly by location and altitude changed Cooper's projected landing point considerably and they basically never find him they don't find his body they don't find anything
1: no parachutes no nothing, nothing. so what what t- like what mileage? Of distance were they actually looking at?
0: They don't say. They do say, but I don't have it here. Oh, okay. <laughs> like they do. Oh, it was this much. as you It was as a pretty. Yeah, it was a pretty <laughs> wide area. Um, an important variable was the length of time he remained in the free fall before pulling his ripcord, if indeed he succeed, succeeded in opening a parachute at all. Neither of the Air Force fighter pilots saw anything exit the airliner. Okay, but. Of course, it's like November. It was super cloudy. Not only that, but it's just It's. I mean, how big is he compared to an airplane? And they're at ten thousand feet, and I, I. don't know. I think they were at a different altitude. Yeah. So. Who I mean, knows? he could easily slip by. It's he's tiny. When you're talking about a bunch of different airliners. Um, I still keep getting this visual of him just. <laughs> 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 Anyways. Neither of the Air Force fighter pilots saw anything exit the airliner, either visually or on radar, radar, nor did they see a parachute parachute open. I can't talk.
1: (laughs) It's fine, Alma. It's fine. It's wine, wine, wine.
0: It's wine, wine, wine. But at night, with extremely limited visibility and cloud cover obscuring any ground lighting below, an airborne human figure clad entirely in black uh, could easily have gone undetected.
1: Especially if he's moving fast. Because if right. you see people, um, besides your gift that you mentioned, but people coming out of airplanes, it's, it's usually pretty quickly, I would think. Yeah. Pretty fast.
0: I, and then with cloud cover and everything. So the T-33 pilots never made visual contact with the 727 at all. Wow. Here's a little picture. Looks like a guy the with glasses. Picture. The. the picture. Um, the most plausible theory is that he doesn't make it. But then you would, a body would show up somewhere, you would think. Right. And so that's what keeps the legend alive. That the legend, was, the myth. The legend, the myth, the man. <laughs> Um, There are some theories that he may have been a Boeing employee, others that he may have had military background because of his knowledge of the plane and certain things he says during his hijacking, hijacking that some investigators claim lead them uh, to the conclusion of the military background. Okay. Um, Something about like the lever that's used, like, and I don't remember specifically and I should have written it down, but there was a lever and he says, oh, you know, you have to use this lever, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, no, we just have this button. And the lever he's referring to is something that's only in military planes.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting. And not probably in commercial planes. So that kind of
0: Right, narrows that all down. Yeah. So there was and, and a bunch of other little things that, that he said. In November 2011, it's announced that particles of pure unalloyed titanium had also been found on his tie. Okay. It's explained that the titanium, which was rarer in the 1970s than in the 2010s, was... At that time, found only in metal fabrication or production facilities or chemical companies using it combined with aluminum to store extremely corrosive substances. The findings suggested that Cooper may have been a chemist or a metallurgist or possibly an engineer or a manager um, because only the managers wore ties apparently um (laughs) no really this is really what it said okay in a metal or chemical manufacturing plant or at a company that recovered scrap metal from those types of factories
1: or a partridge in a pear tree
0: apparently (laughs) (laughs) that too and january 2017 okay so just a couple years years ago um, it was also reported Ooh. that the rare earth minerals such as cerium and strontium sulfide had also been identified among particles from the, One that of the TIE. That TIE rare... gave up a lot, didn't it? Apparently, but not as fingerprints. Right. Or, or maybe. I don't know. They never really actually see if any of the fingerprints that they match, match with you. anybody. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the rare applications for such elements in the 1970s was Boeing's supersonic transport development project, suggesting the possibility that Cooper was a Boeing employee. Really? Other possible sources of the material included plants that manufactured cathode ray tubes, such as the Portland firm's Teledyne or Tektronics. Interesting. So I think that's pretty amazing Like that they... Out of, the of yeah, af- out of this tie yeah out of this tie that they got this much information but they still can't i mean didn't they have like employee logs that they could have matched up against did somebody
1: uh, go missing yeah did, do you know what i mean but unless he did make it then he would have gone to work and then quit well, shortly afterwards if you had like
0: one point something million dollars in money would you go back to work i would
1: For a little bit, just because if I I actually committed a crime, yes, I would be as normal as possible for at least another six months. Because, you know, crime.
0: Crime. Crime doesn't
1: pay. (laughs) Well, in his case, if he made it out, it did. And if it didn't,
0: he just did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Agents theorized that Cooper took his alias from a popular Belgian comic book series of the 1970s that um, features a fictional hero named Dan Cooper. Okay. A Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot who took part in numerous heroic adventures, including parachuting. One cover from the series reproduced on the FBI websites depicts test pilot Cooper skydiving in full paratrooper regalia. Because the Dan Cooper comics were never translated into English nor imported to the U.S., they speculated that he may have encountered them during a tour of duty in Europe. Interesting. And then a um, month after the hijacking, the FBI distributed lists of the ransom serial numbers from the money to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, and other businesses that routinely conducted significant cash, tra- cash transactions and to the law enforcement agencies around the, around the world. Northwest Orient offered a reward of 15% of the recovered money to a maximum of $25,000. Really? If anybody could give them information or lead to it. In February 1980, an 8-year-old Brian Ingram was vacationing with his family on the Columbia River at a beachfront known as Tina Bar about 9 miles downstream from Vancouver, Washington and 20 miles southwest of Burial. The child uncovered Three packets of the ransom cash as he raked the no. Sandy River bank to build a campfire. You are kidding me. Yep. And also, I have to say that none of the serial numbers have ever been found in rotation. Interesting. Very so, interesting. Other than these that were um, discovered by this kid. The bills are significantly disintegrated, but still bundled in rubber bands. FBI technicians confirmed that the money was indeed a portion of the ransom. Two packets of... 120 dollar bills each and a third packet of 90 all arranged in the same order as give when given to cooper which would say he never like i don't know it adds credence to the fact that it fell from him you know like he dropped it at okay. some point when he yeah knew.
1: either that or maybe it hit the floor bag busted flew, fell out F- hit the a- water F- like just yeah. ended
0: up in this waterway and ended up sanded up on this beach i don't know In 1986, after protracted negotiations, the recovered bills were divided equally between Ingram and Northwest Orient's insurer. The FBI retained 14 samples as evidence. Ingram sold 15 of his bills at auction in 2008 for about $37,000. Holy shit. Crazy, right? That is insane. Um, To date, none of the 9,710 remaining bills have turned up anywhere in the world. Wow. Wow. Their serial numbers remain unavailable online for public search. Uh, the Columbia Rim- River ransom money and the Airstar Air Star instruction placard remain the only confirmed physical evidence from the hijacking ever found outside the aircraft. Wow, that is interesting. So let's get on to suspects. All right. One suspect I wanted to mention before we go into the other s- suspects was none other than somebody that we've talked about on this podcast. Okay. Before, John List. No Yes Really Yep He killed his family yeah remember um, withdrew 200k from his mother's bank account in new jersey just days before the cooper hijacking apparently days really yeah and he still comes up like in searches and stuff so yeah i just wanted to mention that that is interesting oh my god that is super interesting he also had an uncanny likeness to the composite sketch of the now that you're saying that
1: and i'm thinking back and forth i'm like wait a minute that does look like him
0: however there's no substantial evidence to link him to the hijacking um there were more than 800 possible suspects that were investigated right off the top was a person that was actually named db cooper really which is weird because who would guy, give the real name right well and not only that but this guy gave dan cooper and this guy's db cooper which was a media <laughs> mistake right so yeah okay it's just weird he had a minor police record but he was quickly eliminated as a suspect of course of course i'm not going to do all the suspects there was like 800. Well, aside from 800, but there were like they had narrowed it down and even that's a long list and okay. we I we don't have enough time on our podcast for that. No doubt. That's interesting. There's Richard Floyd McCoy Jr. Okay. And McCoy was an army veteran who served two tours of duty in Vietnam, first as a demolition expert and later with the Green Berets as a helicopter pilot. After his military service, he became a warrant officer in the Utah National Guard and an avid recreational skydiver with aspirations. He said of becoming a Utah State Trooper. He also staged one of the best-known copycat hijackings on April 7th, 1972. Really? Months before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) He boarded United Airlines Flight 855, a Boeing 727, with aft stairs in in Denver, Colorado. So same kind of... Everything, airplane, yeah, everything in Denver, Colorado, and brandishing what later proved to be a paperweight resembling a hand grenade and an unloaded gun, he demanded four parachutes, same, and five hundred thousand dollars. Okay, why? by the difference in the five hundred? Huh? Why the difference?
1: I don't know. He thought it'd be special. I'm just, I'm just asking. You're I, like, bitch. I don't know. <laughs> I'm
0: like, I don't know. <laughs> That's too many You're just questions, man. It's wine time. It's wine time. After delivery of the money. And parachutes at the San Francisco International Airport. McCoy ordered the aircraft back into the sky and bailed out over Provo, Utah. And he actually, you know, he makes it. Leaving behind his handwritten hijacking instructions and his fingerprints on a magazine he had been reading. So he's not as meticulous because, I don't think I said this, but D.B. Cooper, or Dan Cooper, he asks for the the note back from... Oh, the I. The flight attendant. Interesting. He really doesn't leave too much behind. Okay. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Like I said, he left behind the hand, handwritten hijacking instructions and his fingerprints on a magazine he had been reading. He's later identified by a handwriting expert who matched his handwriting to his military service records. You know
1: i heard wow that's interesting what i heard that the handwriting experts is all kind of a con that there really isn't a like there really isn't a science behind it now i don't know how true that is
0: but really yeah like online
1: yes because everything i read online is true but no (laughs) (laughs) but yes online i can't remember actually i read it a while back and i can't um quite remember it who i read it from but that's what i heard that's
0: interesting because i mean basically they use it for so many different things in forensics yeah even so
1: i think if you have a suspect um my thoughts are at least if you have a suspect that and it's narrowed down and you compare handwriting they're gonna probably compare it as close as they can to to what they have rather than it being like that belongs to why hernandez only because only she can you know well, I like think because
0: people like loop their Y's and their G's and like they do things differently. Okay. But I've always under- wondered how that work- works because like me, my handwriting <laughs> has mood swings. Yes. And sometimes I'm like slanting this way or like my my handwriting never always looks the same.
1: Same. I have three separate handwritings and not for any other reason, but mine kind of swoops one way other times and the other times it's bubbly. Right. So yeah. And then other times I'm just lazy and it scribbles. When I'm lazy, my handwriting sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Be Uh, like, this is why we have computers.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But just think about this. Okay. Our kids are never going to (laughs) understand... If we leave them a, a will in cursive, oh my God, we're go <laughs> gonna have to take that me. and have it translated by somebody, right? My daughter doesn't really like. She's like looks at stuff that I write, and she's like, "I don't understand your writing." I don't. I don't even understand.
1: I'm. I. I totally get that though. Like even um, if you see the progression in just handwriting. Well, first of all, cursive is non-existent. But like little Sergio, who's a couple of years older than Talia, he has pretty decent handwriting. Talia has awful handwriting and I think it's just because Isn't she was in that weird? transition because usually where it's the
0: girls who have better handwriting than, than the, boys. the boys
1: yeah yeah and in this case it's not it's definitely not the case and it's because she was but, you know even though she's just a few years um, years difference from my son I just think it was a, at a time where the handwriting was still in place for him to continue to learn in the cursive and all that other right. stuff compared to Talia where it was more automated with computers and everything else right like Well that, think so. about like all the reports that we had to handwrite. Yeah. We're girls. So you uh, know, in the sixth grade, we wrote our name 400 times to perfect our signature. Not only that, but we had
0: to write things over and over again. Yeah. Like, even if we got in trouble, like, that was a real thing. Like, I will not do this ever again. I will not do this ever again. Yeah. I will not do this ever again. That was, that was torture.
1: That's sucked.
0: Uh, we're Typing old. it over and over <laughs> again, you're like, I can do this all day. All right. So, he was arrested on April 9th okay. with the ransom cash in his possession. Dumbass. <laughs> After the trial and conviction, um, he received a 45-year sentence. Two years later, he escapes. And three months later, he's tracked down by the FBI and he's killed in a shootout.
1: Damn. Yeah. So. Well, I take the... He's pretty badass, though. <laughs> Went from dumbass to badass in like 0.25 seconds. Uh, in their
0: 1991 book, D.B. Cooper, The Real McCoy, Pearl Officer Bernie Rhodes, and former FBI agent Russell Kalame or Kalame, asserted that they identified McCoy as Cooper, although it has to be said that the FBI does not consider him a suspect in the Cooper case because of significant mismatches in age and description. Okay, well, there you go. It's not him. Yeah, It's amazing, like, how many theories there are out there. Oh, like, gosh, girl. Like, a lot of pet theories. Like, people just, like, get on this, like, there's, out of all these suspects, you have people that are on the, that suspect and they're like they have like a dog with a bone yeah yeah, like and there's websites that are just dedicated and um the next one i'm going to talk about is one of those okay and he's actually come up more recently um and i i I really didn't delve into that but like as i was going through it he is i don't know what quite why the fbi doesn't like him as a suspect and it might be his age okay but so many people are like this, this is the guy. This is really? the guy. But, you know, I'll leave it up to the readers. There's so many things that you guys can go out there and look Just up. like look at and find out. Yeah. Anyways, or the readers. The listeners. listeners. <laughs> then there is Robert Rackstraw. He's a retired. That's a sexy p- name. Rackstraw?
1: Rackstraw. Well, not sexy. Robert more of Rackstraw. Like a- there.
0: It has like a little bit of. It has something. Something. I don't know what it is. Sparkle. Not really alliteration, but yeah. <laughs> it has something to it The are, are. Robert Rackstraw. He sounds like a character. Yeah, Robert Rackstraw. Anyways, a retired pilot, and ex-convict who served on an army helicopter crew and other units during the Vietnam War. It's interesting that a lot, all, so many of these suspects are like have military, military. But, yeah, but they also have a criminal background in some way or another. So I don't know. Take that as you will. He came to the attention of the Cooper Task Force in february nineteen seventy eight, so several years later, after he was arrested in Iran and deported to the US to face explosives possession and oh. yeah. And check kiting charges. Several months after, while released on bail, Rackstraw attempted to fake his own death by radioing a false uh, May Day call and telling controllers that he was bailing out of a rented plane over Monterey Bay. Sounds like an interesting guy. No doubt. Yeah. He, yeah. <laughs> he's later arrested. They later arrest him in Fullerton on an additional charge of forging federal pilot certificates. Okay. Really? The plane he claimed to have ditched was found repainted in a nearby hangar. Investigators noted his physical resemblance to Cooper composite sketches although he was only 28 in 1971 and remember like they identify him as being a little bit older a little bit older like in his 40s but if he's going
1: through all that trouble you're not going to tell me that glasses or some sort of movie makeup can't be kind of done if he's going through the well and if he's a chain
0: smoker anyways like Mm -hmm. that ages you you yeah and Um, more yeah Exactly. But the pictures, the the pictures of him in in 1971, but either way, he still like does have like I was looking at pictures, side side by side pictures of him and the, the composite pictures. And he he looks a lot like those composite pictures. They eliminate him as a suspect in 1979 after no direct evidence of his involvement could be found. In 2016, Rackstraw reemerged as a suspect in a History Channel program and a book. On September 8, 2016, Thomas J. Colbert, 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 an author of the book *The Last Master Outlaw*, filed a lawsuit to compel the FBI to release its Cooper case file under the Freedom of Information Act. The suit alleges that the FBI suspended active investigation of the Cooper case. In order to undermine the theory that Rackstraw is D.B. Cooper so as to prevent embarrassment for the Bureau's failure to develop evidence sufficient to prosecute him for the crime. Really? Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Um, and there's plenty more about him online if you guys want to look him up. There's stuff that even came up last year. Wow. Yeah. Honestly, like, he's my pick. <laughs> <laughs> if there's anybody, I think it's Rackstraw. Then there is Dwayne Weber and his deathbed confession to his wife in 1995 that he was Dan Cooper. Imagine being married for so many years and your husband's dying and he's on his deathbed and he's like, guess what? I got something to tell you. I'm Dan Cooper. There you go. And she's like, who Is, she, the fuck is, he, is, Dan ex-mil- is he
1: ex-military as well? Yes. It's interesting though to kind of find that all these people are ex-military it makes you wonder if one is covering for the other.
0: I don't know. I think it's a far stretch. I, I Yeah, I think that might okay. be a stretch. But it's it's interesting, though. But I know a lot of the suspects that they were looking at. Were
1: military either way. But the,
0: the funny thing is, like, if you think of Billy the Kid. Like, okay. all the people that came up and said, hey, I'm Billy the Kid. You think about these these cases like that where these people come up and they're like, I'm this guy.
1: Right. I just don't get that shit, though. But okay.
0: Isn't that weird?
1: That is strange that they would actually. Like, there be- has
0: to be, like, a psychological name for somebody that does that that claims to be somebody they're not just because
1: they want that attention yeah i I don't get it there's yeah i don't get it but okay but i I just (laughs) i mean i'm like why what's the point in that
0: i don't know there has to be something there has to be some kind of psychological link to that so like i said Dwayne weber his deathbed confession to his wife he was a world war ii army veteran okay who served time in at least six prisons from 1945 to 1968 for burglary and forgery. I think, like, it would have been probably a hard thing to do to, like, throw something and not hit a military veteran Yeah, in those especially times. in
1: those times, because that was something where we're very patriotic, where we're, you know what I mean? Well, and then there
0: was the draft for Vietnam, number one, but so many people went up for World War One and World, World War II. Two. So, yeah, I just think it's interesting. She didn't know who D.B. Cooper was, so she goes to the library and she, like... Researches. Does some research on this and... Th- The one book that she reads is Max Gunther's book, D.B. Cooper, What Really Happened? And there's notations in the margins and they're in her husband's handwriting.
1: No. Yeah. What are the notations saying? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of you. It doesn't really even say. Really?
0: Um, She then recalled in retrospect that Weber once had a nightmare during which he talked in his sleep about jumping from a plane, leaving his fingerprints on the aft stairs. Really? So he was like stressing out about this. He also reportedly told her that, and I don't know, it's kind of weird. Like, you're on your deathbed, and the one person you tell is your wife.
1: But why? I mean, I guess that would be my point. out of all the
0: things that you're going to say on your deathbed, you're going to make some shit up?
1: Well... Okay, and to play a little bit of a devil's advocate. Is it were like, were they having financial problems? Would saying something like this because he was dying anyways um, bring some publicity to his wife? Maybe a few monetary offers or anything like that? I don't, I don't know. know. That's a good
0: point. That's a good point. I didn't really even think of it that way. I just thought it was strange. Like, yeah. why would somebody say something on their deathbed? Like, wait that many years and the only person you're going to tell is, the, is your wife if you're making shit up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. He also reportedly told her that an old knee injury had been incurred by jumping out of a plane, like the hijacker did. Weber drank bourbon, and he was a chain smoker. Other circumstantial evidence included in a 1979 trip to Seattle and the Columbia River, river during which Weber took a walk along the riverbank in Tina Bar. Really? Yeah. Four months later, Brian Ingram made his ransom cash discovery in the same area. That is interesting. So he okay, so if this is true, he never ever spent the money and he went and tried to bury it somewhere?
1: Yeah, that makes no that makes no sense. I mean honestly I I could see if people were kind of, you know, focused on that, but because he actually made a deathbed confession. But not reality. I mean, how do you know what type of marriage they have? And again, I'm I'm totally playing devil's advocate way off base probably but how do you know she wasn't like you're a loser you know what i mean how right. do you know she wasn't that kind of wife and he's right. like you know what i had money but i, I rather bury it than to give it to you i'm db cooper and he's like Ugh. and he dies <laughs> dun
0: dun. <laughs> okay i'm just saying oh my god that's funny and then like to and Maybe he just had a fascination because obviously yeah. he was at the library looking up DB Cooper and...
1: notes and stuff. That's yeah, more likely that's... the the situation I would think, but
0: that's weird. And maybe his um not ma- the ch- chain smoking because I think there's so many chain smokers. It back was then. the six, was yeah. the 70s, right? I mean, yeah, even
1: people... 70s, even the 80s, they yeah. all drank bourbon, they all chain smoked. Everybody was in the military. Right. Don Draper was in the military.
0: That's right. <laughs> total madman here right um the FBI... this is a madman episode No, <laughs> there you go i had to like move away there i so told you that you're either... gonna slurp it i was waiting for this. <laughs> i'm like that's just real quiet anyways sorry good i honestly like by the time i decided to do this i was like we should have just had some bourbon like yeah it totally would have went with this episode but <sighs> alas i changed my mind too late in the game <laughs> So the FBI eliminated Weber as an active suspect in July 1998 when his fingerprints did not match any of those processed in the hijacked plane and okay. no other direct evidence could be found to in- implicate him. Later, his DNA also failed to match the samples recovered from Co- Cooper's tie.
1: They had DNA in his tie? Apparently. Ooh, that's more interesting.
0: Yep. And then I picked this one because I'm, like, trying to pick, like, who to to add to this. Yeah. This one was intriguing to me because this is a woman. Really? Who was a man. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) She was ahead of her time. Yes. Barbara Drayton. Barbara. Born Robert in 1926. He served in the U.S. Merchant Marine and then... The army during the world war ii after his discharge dayton worked with explosives in the construction industry i think it's interesting that a lot of these like guys had explosives some sort of explosives training or whatever yeah um in the construction industry and aspired to a professional airline career but could not obtain a commercial pilot's license dayton underwent gender reassignment surgery in 1969 I didn't even know they did that. In I didn't either. That has to be some sort of crude surgery, I would think. That's crazy. I don't I don't even know that I'd want to undergo heart surgery in 1960 <laughs> 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 I might not give birth in nineteen sixties. Yeah, oh, let alone no. mess with my parts down there. Um and he he changed and changed her name to Barbara. She claimed to have staged the Cooper hijacking two years later, disguised as a man, in order to get back At the airline industry. Yeah, because if she had it in 1969, this happened in 1971. So that was two years before. So he'd already had gender reassignment surgery. Right. Anyway, so she claimed to stage the Cooper hijacking two years later disguised as a man in order to get back at the airline industry and the FAA, whose insurmountable rules and conditions had prevented her from becoming an airline pilot. She hid the ransom money in a sister near her landing point in Woodburn, a suburban area south of Portland. Eventually, she recanted her entire story, ostensibly after learning that she could still be charged with oh, hijacking. Shit. She's like, oh, fuck okay. <laughs> it. That was all a lie. I was lying. I was lying. lying. Well, I was drinking. I had too much bourbon. <laughs> I have notes on the side of my book, too. <laughs> never mind. That's okay. No, I'm fine. It didn't really happen. I was dreaming. The FBI was never has never commented publicly on Dayton, who died in 2002. But there are, like, um, websites out there where that's, you know, these people's favorite um suspect. suspect. So And they, like, link all these th- points that make them match up to who db cooper was so that's interesting so if you want to look up this person barbara drayton formerly known as robert is that like almost formerly known as prince (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay so um some of the repercussions um after all of this is said and done airport security the cooper hijacking mark the beginning of the end for the unfettered and unscrutinized commercial airline travel Despite the initiation of the Federal Sky Marshal Program the previous year, 31 hijackings were committed in the U.S. airspace in 1972. Holy shit, really? Yeah. 19 of them were for specific purpose of extorting money, and most of the rest were attempts to reach Cuba. Okay. In 15 of the extortion cases, the hijackers also demanded parachutes. Really? Interesting. In early 1973, the FAA began requiring airlines to search all passengers and their bags. Amid multiple lawsuits charging that such searches violated Fourth Amendment protections against search and seizure, federal courts ruled that they were acceptable when applied universally and when limited to searches for weapons and explosives. In contrast to the 31 hijackings in 1972, only two were attempted in 1973. Okay. So... Obviously, that brought down the number of hijackers. Yeah, a bunch of shit, yeah. So were any
1: of those other hijackings successful that actually requested parachutes? Did they mention that at all? They don't
0: really mention that. Okay. Um,
1: Both, well, the one. Yeah, the one from Colorado. Yeah, that
0: guy. And obviously the Dan Coops. (laughs) Both by psychiatric, well, it wasn't successful because he gets caught. Right. That guy but Dan Cooper is really the only successful one. I mean, if you count the fact that he never was caught, but not if he died. Yeah. That's not, <laughs> and then not there's that's not zero something success, a right? success at all. <laughs> <laughs> both by both of these hijackings, those two in 1973 were by psychiatric patients. One of them whom attend, intended to crash the airliner into the White House to kill President Nixon. Oh no. Yeah. Some crazy birds out there. Crazy. In the wake of multiple copycat hijackings in 1972, the FAA required that all Boeing 727 aircraft be fitted with a device, later dubbed the Cooper Vane, that prevents lowering of the aft air stair during flight. Interesting. As a direct result of the hijacking, the installation of peepholes was mandated in all cockpit doors. This made it possible for the cop- cockpit crew to observe people in the passenger cabin without having to open the cockpit door. That, that seems That's, like just a given.
1: Right. That seems like common sense. Like, right. you probably should have done that a long, t- a long time ago.
0: It's funny. Like, you know, things, things come up and rules come up because somebody does something and then they make it harder for other people to do. Right? Like, I mean... But you know, somebody actually seventy three hijackings. Yeah. Somebody actually got in a bathtub and used a blow dryer, so now we have these Warnings Don't use near water. Like who was the first person who did that? So
1: there's not everybody has a full set of crayons in their crayon box (laughs) box (laughs) box box. Yes.
0: We are some of those people.
1: Definitely. Okay, so either way I'm sitting there eating crayons.
0: better than dirt mud pies this is true <laughs> um i don't know anybody that did that either way eat crayons or eat the,
1: dirt eat dirt oh i did that's a whole other story though so. oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> either way the day that dan Ke- cooper boarded that plane he parachuted into history and inspired a cult following and has become part of our folklore and legend He was the inspiration for a song, a few films, endless books and documentaries, podcasts. Yep. Um, There are restaurants in the Pacific Northwest that hold regular Cooper themed promotions and sell souvenirs. Interestingly, I listened, of course, to a few YouTube videos. The Skyjacker that got away was one of them. And D.B. Cooper, the FBI overview with Bruce Smith and a few others. And I also listed the Generation Y podcast, Listen to the Generation Y podcast episode 106, where Aaron and Justin give a pretty thoughtful overview of the case and really get into the four parachute there and theories regarding them in a way I never could because I don't have a background in the military or piloting a plane. So if you are intrigued and (laughs) what, Alma, you don't know how to pilot a plane? I don't. So don't ever ask me to. That's if a we're struggle. ever in that position <laughs> no I do not know how to pilot this plane nope I guess we're gonna crash I'm not even gonna touch that steering wheel where's a
1: apartment I'm like you're, so you're gonna hear me screaming we dead we dead <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyways Alma um, uh, no <laughs> I'm all mad. <laughs> so if you are intrigued and want to learn a bit more, that is a place to start. And of course, the internet has a plethora of websites devoted to the subject, including the FBI website, which okay. I perused a little bit. And just be prepared to lose yourself for a little while and a few hours of your life. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> That was
1: really good. Very interesting. John Lisp. No, no. I think he's just he was too sad to be. He he was too sad to be a suspect.
0: Yeah, he He didn't make them whiny and stuff. Yeah, this guy sounds a little bit more cool, like Don Draper, like with his bourbon and his cigarettes. He was really nice and and
1: sad and not real good decision maker with his money.
0: (laughs) The whole religious
1: aspect. Yeah, the organs and the mm, yeah. No, it was wrong with that man. I've always actually remember listening, um, hearing about that story years ago, like probably sometime in the 80s. And um, thinking, holy shit, somebody jumped out of an airplane when I first heard it. I was like wide-eyed, you know, childlike. Like what? Tell me more. So I always think it's an extremely interesting story. But the likelihood is he's probably dead. Because why would you steal that kind of money and then never use it? Right.
0: I mean, literally none of those bills were ever... ever used in circulation nobody's ever recorded them so
1: i mean but how would you know i mean in all honesty
0: i mean maybe maybe he dropped all the money and just said fuck it um, maybe it fell um, in the water and he couldn't I'm find not, it yeah i'm not good at this and then just went on with his life i don't know that's super interesting kind of makes you wonder
1: if he got it washed maybe you're not in that wash like is in literally washing it but like washing it through some sort of secondhand
0: but it still would have ended up in circulation
1: yeah, but how often do we really look at our bills? How would they really know? They don't scan
0: them. Well, when they dispose of them, have you ever watched Money Train? They look at all of those serial numbers.
1: Okay. And out of a minute circulation, huh? And then we've changed our money, so that makes more sense. Hmm. Touche Alma. <laughs> <laughs> look at the big brain on Brad. <laughs> have you ever watched Money Train? Burly.
0: What? I think I watched it Lopez? years ago. Come
1: on, girl. I watched it. I just watched it a long time ago. <laughs> girl, my mind is not what it used to be.
0: All right. What do you got? All what right. Got? So
1: mine's very small. Um, I was trying to find some more info on it. Ah, ah, I need an adult. <laughs> I think I unplugged briefly-ish. Hello? There I am. Okay, sorry. Hello? Yeah, you're there. I'm here? Okay. Okay, good. I was like, I need an adult. Okay, so my story is kind of small, kind of short. Actually, it's very short. Um... But I, I thought it was interesting it to be either more way. Than,
0: like three pages.
1: I got a several, but some of them are pictures. So, <laughs> of course, I'd like to thoroughly scare you. So we're gonna go that route. Uh oh. No, it's. A, I don't think it's that scary at all. But Uh-oh. we're gonna go anyways. Okay. Uh-oh. So imagine the seventies year, almost the same year as yours. DB Cooper story. This is in nineteen seventy-two, though. Artist Bill Stonem's first wife, Ronan Rohan. Uh, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> 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 she has just penned a poem called. Hands resist him. It's about um, the artist Stonehenge's experience of being adopted, never knowing his biological family, siblings. Um, At the time, the couple lived in California, um, and the artist was under contract with the gallery owner Charles Feingarten to produce two paintings a month for a fee of $200 each. So with his, his um, deadline looming, he seized upon his wife's poem, um, and a 20-year-old, a photo of him as a child from a, from Chicago where he grew up. So I'm gonna read the poem, even though it's not really anything really to do with it, but I just thought I'd read it since he did draw inspiration from it. Um, so the poem is, um, he is of the seen visions, his strokes reveal them, in a rush of color, of madness, of mystics. And his head is in the highest center. It must confront its enemy. The hands resist him, like the secret of his birth. His presence is in the sanctum, heartbeat, felt in darkness and in passion. It's sound, the sole gift to that silence. So that's the poem that the painting actually comes from. The photograph that Bill Stoneham's parents actually took of him when he was about five years old. Um, at the time, um, his, his adopted father was traveling a lot. Um, they had him living with some family in Chicago, as mentioned to save money. So there were, you know, kind of all squished in there. The apartment wasn't very big. Okay. So, um, he actually played, um, Stoneham, um, as a young boy played outside often, <laughs> And, and during one of these occasions, his parents had him posed in front of a glass door for a photograph. So the, the actual uh, photograph, it depicts a young boy, female doll, sitting in front of the glass panel door. Um, and so with the, with the actual painting, it depicts that same thing, except um, it's about a dozen or so disembodied children's hands pressing up the glass behind him. Reaching what? towards the boy through the glass panel doors, again, just behind him. So, uh. according to... The, <laughs> I can see all face right now. So, according to the um, artist, the boy is based on a photograph of himself, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, the doorway is a representation of the dividing line between what the waking world and the world of fantasy and impossibilities. While the doll is a guide that will escort the boy through it. The hands represent alternate lives or possibilities. So that's okay. the art the artist's take it's, on it. Okay, it sounds
0: really fucking creepy. <laughs>
1: okay, so so he paints it, wraps up his contract in 1974 with a large gallery show put on by by the Fine Garden Gallery in Beverly Hills. California, if you didn't know where Beverly Hills was at, which I'm sure we all do, but still, I <laughs> thought I'd just throw that in there. Um, it was reviewed by the art critic for the Los Angeles Times, Henry Seldes. Um, There, The Hands Resist him was purchased as, purchased by actor John Marley, famous for his role um, in The Godfather. Now, he's the guy who um, is a producer that he ends up with a head on his um, bed because he didn't want to give Don Corleone's nephew what he, what he needed
0: oh the horse head
1: yes ma'am so that's uh that's exactly that's him so he bought it so a a few years after the painting was sold that same art critic henry seldes died and then the gallery owner died not long after that so then in 1984 um the actor who purchased it actually died as well Uh, okay so the painting completely disappears it's not surface. it doesn't surface again till like 2000. And it and it um, comes up as a bizarre posting on eBay, out of all things, right? So the new owners are trying to sell it because they said it was haunted. So according <laughs> to the seller, the painting would come to life at night, terrorizing the household. The children in the picture were fighting and coming into the room during the night. The seller's four-year-old daughter had apparently fucking bawled and cried into her parents' room like you would expect a four-year-old right. too when fucking pictures yeah. people are coming out of the pictures and causing havoc right so they claimed that the boy and the doll picture would fight with each other during the night um terrifying obviously the little girl i think yeah little girl yeah. i i think it would terrorize me too a little bit just a little bit fucking freaky ass no so how <laughs> <laughs> to the no no says <laughs> yeah no so anyways um so um let's see where I'm at so they so the dad thought it was a good idea to set up a motion motion sensing camera in the room for three nights and claimed oh, yeah. that they captured the boy in the painting leaving the picture frame coming into the room um, Shut and then the, the little girl up. fleeing in terror <laughs> so also included with the <sighs> listing were a series of four photographs that were said to be evidence in an incident in which the female doll character threatened the male character with the gun that she was holding, causing him to attempt to leave the painting. So, and of course, to top all this stuff off, the disca- a disclaimer was put on this posting um, that it would absolve the seller of any liability um, for, the, for the painting if it was purchased. So... I'll show you a picture of this in a second.
0: Um, I don't know that I want to see the picture. So anyway, do you want to see the
1: picture? (laughs) No. So, what a lot of skeptics were like, yeah, yeah, this is a good ploy for, you know, these eBay sellers to sell this, you know, warning, blah, 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 because it brings a lot of traffic, a lot of media traffic. Yeah. So um, the owners did warn the buyers that not to bid on the painting because if if they, not to bid on the painting if they were faint of heart or unfamiliar with supernatural events, more than 30,000 people visited the auction page. Many people have reported strange reactions when viewing the picture, including suddenly feeling ill, fainting. The sensation of being gripped by an invisible entity and uh. hearing hearing exorcist type voices. Oh,
0: <laughs> hell, <laughs> no! So, Avett, you're not
1: showing me this picture. <laughs> I'm sure totally showing you this totally picture right now. So after an initial bid of, uh, of initial bids starting off at $199, the painting eventually received 30 bids and sold for um $1025 to a gallery owner named Kim Smith in Rapid in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She said it it, it remains in storage in Smith's galleries to this day and though and though he has thus far reported no unusual para- para- well, let's try that again. No unusual phenomena. He has only been. Um, he's only the only weird thing he has actually um seen is that people want to come to see the picture constantly. Um, he reports having turned down offers to buy the painting in the low six figures. In two thousand sixteen, Daryl Kyle O'Neill published a book called "The Hands Resist Them. Be careful what you wish, what you bid for. My apologies. And it's a dr- it's a dramatic account of the history and the haunting of. The paint of the painting how they got a whole book out of the information I got is beyond me but that's what that's the book that he um wrote appropriately enough O'Neill has his own strange story about his first encounter with this sinister artwork um I saw it online when I was living in Dubai the the um, author says I printed it out left it on the side table next to some other documents printed on the same printer with the same paper Anyways, I went to Italy for a month, and when I came back, the air conditioning had gone awry, and everything was, uh, was covered in green mold. The TV, bedsheets, daughter's cots, Ugh. clothing, all of the suits in the closet, the documents, all, I had, pin, everything was completely full of, of mold. Um, however, right next to them, the only thing that was perfectly untouched was the printout of the painting. So um, Stoneham. Um, so, so this is a picture. It's not that bad.
0: <laughs> you sit on a throne of
1: lies.
0: <laughs> <But>, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> so that is the freakiest. This is actually a, the original
0: painting. Picture of what? Did you take these close ups and just no, put them mash them up? That's how for they me? that's how they had it. Uh, no, no.
1: <laughs> okay. So that's, that's the that's one picture. That's, that's, that's the, the, the original picture there. Which is I think it's in itself creepy because look at the hands behind that window.
0: Uh uh. Uh-uh. No, so no, no, no. Okay. the weird
1: thing is that the um, artist actually didn't realize what a phenomenon it had actually become till like much later. So he actually has his own website. So if you ever get a chance to kinda of look him up, check him out. So um he was actually contracted to paint a sequel to the haunted eBay painting, called um, "Resistance at the Threshold," which depicts Stoneham in the same room but decades older, with gray hair and beard. Um, several of the disembodied hands now appear to be coming through the glass, and one, and with one in particular seeming, in uh, one in particular seemingly pulling the face off now the bald doll.
0: Uh exposing
1: her internal mechanisms and what were those i'm gonna show you right now um the doll is also floating eerily beside stoneham as the two large wasps hover in front (laughs) observing the scene so fun 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 so, okay. So that's that. Um, and then he also did a third one, which actually shows, it's like a prequel right? to the, ha- to the, um, the haunted one? picture. Uh huh. And it's actually him seeing himself outside the window with the doll while the picture is being taken. So this is the old man one. And I gotta get that one back from you.
0: Uh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's,
1: and then this is the prequel one.
0: Fucking creepy. Okay.
1: Okay. So um, so anyways, a story from the actual artist on the website shows um, where to begin. Well, I've always had a connection to what Carl Jung called the collective unconsciousness. I think we all do. Artists, especially visual, uh, artists, especially visual artists, are barometers for the currents that run through this collective. Dreams are a common experience people may have with this. Anyway, my own experience is a sensitivity to a place, physical and geographical place. There are memories, echoes of all life within, a, within that place. Maybe it's what's called channeling. When I painted the hands resist in 1972, I used an old photo of myself at age 5 in a Chicago apartment. The hands are the other lives, the glass door, that thin veil between waking and dreaming. The doll is imagined companion or a guide through this realm. So, with that being said, though, I also read on a different website, and I can't recall it right now because I forgot to write it down, is that some people think that when artists are putting some sort of very emotional um, um, behind any sort of art that they do, that they tend to channel, again, different spirits or energies to these specific paintings. So
0: Whatever he's channeling, that's some creepy ass shit, (laughs) man.
1: So that was my story, like I said, short, small, and About, sweet. But yeah, it's but it called good. the hands resist him is the actual picture. So we'll definitely put these up on IG and the yeah. website and um, for you to check out. But yeah,
0: let us know what you think of these pictures, because
1: definitely, because like I said, um, I I'm not sure which is more out. disturbing, because the first picture scared the hell out of me, but this one actually has the hands coming through the window. You know, like hands made on it that all the way through yeah. the window. Oh my gosh, this doesn't even show you. So this is, my, my printer must have just not come out. Literally, there are hands all over these windows. So if you thought that was creepy, the actual picture, damn it, I wish I would have, I wish it would have come out. I didn't check it out because it was late last night. But um, it actually shows you the pictures of...
0: Um, It'll probably come out better on the website when we put it up. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely pull the picture up. I think that's just my printer because it's just too dark.
0: Oh my God. So just the picture, the close-up of the doll. Yes. Freaky so that's AI. the that's
1: the one that they said was on the website, showing pictures of the little girl changing from holding just a little can to um, actually holding up what appears to transform into a gun to the so, little boy. So is
0: this what they get off of the surveillance? This when is they what they, it?
1: no, they didn't find any pictures in regards to surveillance. So whether they just didn't put it up, whether it was bait believe so I couldn't tell you. So how really did they get these tell pictures you, of it changing? They actually took the pictures of the actual, of the
0: actual painting. Okay. Just her face, the close up on her face. Yikes. Yeah. I wouldn't so, even want that in my house. So this I wouldn't is want that picture in my house. What's missing from that picture. Oh shit. Right? Okay. if you That's insane see my because, face right and now.
1: I said, if you see, there's these, all these little kid hands like on this back window almost trying to reach through or warning of something it's really creepy actually yeah it's super creepy so anyways but yeah that's that and so that's why with the I'm other really ones... good
0: artist because that's very like thought-provoking like right what but it's fuck? like exactly but that it totally creeped me out good story good story <laughs> that i might uh, i sit say this every time but i'm definitely gonna have nightmares about that <laughs> Well, it's only a little. I'm going to take some Tylenol PM tonight and hopefully it just <laughs> knocks me the fuck out. You remember
1: any dream of having about oh, a bottom mysterious doll no, going through your no, hallway? No. Or windows on, or hands on your window. That's creepy shit, right? Okay. No, I
0: don't like that at all. <laughs> I do not like that. At I all. object. <laughs> Good job, well, Yvette. That's you have all creeped I'm me with. the fuck out. <laughs>
1: You know what, it's just because I think I've always had, of course, you know, I think as kids, especially growing up in like the 70s and still having um, older pictures from like the 60s, a lot of these things tend to be like very... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, ominous. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of creepy and have almost a secondary meaning to it. So when you see a lot of these pictures, they just creep you to like creep you out to your very core.
0: Because you're like, where is that coming from? What exactly. part of your psyche it's is like that coming from? You're a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> you have some serious issues.
1: You need a hug.
0: Or medication.
1: Definitely. <laughs> So yeah, but uh, like I said, so a lot of these pictures when I see them, I'm just like, oh no, I can't have that in my house. No way. Not that I could even afford to have that one in my house, but just saying in general, all pictures like that just creep me out. So what best? So I so when I tend to look at some of the when we do opposite day and I tend to look at some of the paranormal stuff. Right. I tend to do things that kind of creep me out or interest me without making me hide underneath my my desk and and have me night having nightmares the rest of the night. (laughs)
0: But like I said, so next next month instead of opposite day, we we'll are cold going case. to a cold case. So we'll get together and decide what we want to do. All right, and just give it our best.
1: There we'll go from there, and we'll see if we like it. See how it goes the first time, let, and, and if you anything, guys let and... us
0: know. Give us feedback.
1: Definitely, if we you need feedback. If you guys like what we're doing,
0: yeah. <laughs> if you guys like what we're doing, go on, hit us up on iTunes, and give us a review, please.
1: Please, 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 so. please pretty please <laughs> anyways i think that's about all that i've got tonight you have that, anything to add
0: nope that's it that's then it we're good like to I said, go. said hit us up on itunes give us a review like subscribe rate review all um, the above all the above and also um just a reminder that we have a patreon page if you want to go on there and um just help us out definitely help us out, um and next... us get some nice uh to
1: help us pay for some of the equipment that we've invested in
0: Right, and some of the future equipment, Definitely. so that we can make this sound a little bit better. Also, we want to get our t-shirts going, our merch Definitely. page.
1: I know I've um, been—that's totally on me. I've been totally like somewhat lax in regards to doing it. It's just uh, what. No, I
0: wanted to announce our winner. Oh, so
1: you could just take apart what I just said a little bit ago, be like, clip, clip, snap, gone. <laughs>
0: I I also wanted to announce our winner to our little um, contest contest that we had on Instagram, and we had it on Twitter and everything else, Facebook, which Our grand winner is, drum roll please, Anna Madrid. Woo woo, thank you, Anna. Thank you, Anna, for giving us a review. Um, We're going to do another contest um, with Facebook and... IG. IG as well soon so we'll let you know we'll keep you guys updated thank you guys for listening thank you so much and you guys have a great week have a great week bye 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 hey guys thanks for listening to this episode of tipsy tales music by jesse Biscata, artwork by sergio hernandez and if you're listening on itunes please don't forget to rate and review thanks